covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us. We finally have something to talk about this week, which is good after the Brewers uh, acquired, signed Colton Wong this past week to a a two-year deal that also includes a third-year option. More about that in a moment. Let's do our normal housekeeping stuff here at the top of the program. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And uh, if you do listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can uh, leave a ranking and review and also subscribe, that would be very helpful. So I do the uh, the Brewers Weekly Show, which airs on Thursday nights on WTMJ. You can always listen to it live from uh, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on WTMJ or WTMJ.com. We generally post the show then here on this same podcast feed. So if you can't catch it more often than not, you're going to be able to hear the archive. I try, I attempt to make sure that this podcast and that show are not just a complete repeat of each other because it's it, their weekly shows. They're separate from each other, and a lot of times the news of the week is hit on in each of those shows, but I don't want them to be exactly the same. So I, we've got uh, Tim Mumas, our uh, featured guest. He's coming up in just a few moments. I'll, I'll certainly talk about Colton Wong here, but I, 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 I dove pretty deep into it on this past week's Brewers Weekly, and I don't want to just repeat everything that I said on Brewers Weekly here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. So I would encourage you to go back and listen. That was uh, that was pretty fresh right then, uh, just a very, what, a day after that it had been uh, reported, and then the signing came officially on Friday when the team was able to uh, confirm it after the physical and everything else. So, um yeah, I would encourage you to go listen to that because I think I, I dive a little deeper there than I am here. Now, Tim Mume is going to be with us in a few moments, and again, we'll get his uh, thoughts on, on everything as well. So that's going to be uh, coming up. My my just kind of general surface-level thoughts, and when we spoke on Thursday night on Brewers Weekly, it had not yet been confirmed that Keston Hero was going to go over to first base. Uh, it was confirmed when David Stern spoke with the media on Friday after the signing was officially announced. That what that's what we assumed would happen, and it is going to happen. And I think for the most part, the move is going to shore up each of those areas. You get an elite defensive second baseman. Uh, you get a guy who's got a solid bat at second base. You are losing Keston Hero's bat from second base, but you're putting him at first base, and he is better than anybody else from a hitting standpoint that you were probably going to have at first base this year from a from a very consistent standpoint. Can he play a defensive first base? That's a great question and something that we're all going to learn together. If there's one thing to be concerned about this, it's going to be his ability to play first base and even the, the nuanced aspects of playing first base. It's, you know, when to when to attack and go for the ball and be aggressive, when to retreat back to first base and let a second baseman make a play, whatever it might be. there It's not easy to play first base, and we are going to see how that plays out, and that's something that he's going to be working on very, very hard leading into the season. But overall, you like the move. The, the move that is yet to be made, if it is going to be made, still probably revolves around third base. 
I thought it was probably a good thing for the Brewers this past week when Trevor Bauer ended up signing with the Dodgers because maybe that lessens the likelihood of Justin Turner going back there. There have been reports that the Brewers are in on Turner. What that really means, we don't know. How much money he wants to make, how much money the Brewers are willing to give. The Brewers' contract with Colton Wong reportedly did have a fair amount of money deferred from this first year to later on. Uh, Maybe that opens up some payroll space to be able to sign someone like Justin Turner. Maybe Turner would also be willing to do that, even on a one-year deal. Maybe he would be willing to defer some money to help things out for at least this year. I don't know, but I I don't think it was a bad, other than the fact that if the Brewers face the Dodgers in the postseason again, uh, it's going to be that much tougher when they have Trevor Bauer other than that aspect of it which I guess is a big aspect of it other than that part of it I feel like Bauer signing with the Dodgers was not a bad thing for the Brewers specifically because I feel like it lessens the percentage chance that Justin Turner ends up going back to the Dodgers himself but the Dodgers they print money they can do whatever they want right if they still want to go sign Justin Turner they can still do it that pushes them into the the tax a little bit further, but if they want to do that, they'll go do it. So, but I just feel like there's at least a a little bit less chance of it happening now uh, than before. We'll see if I'm uh, right or if I'm wrong on that. Again, but I I think I go a little bit deeper on Colton Wong on Brewers Weekly. So go uh, go listen to that. My general thought, like the 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 three sentence thought on it is, he's a guy who doesn't strike out much. The Brewers lineup needs that. He's a guy who has just a fantastic glove at second. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun to watch him and Orlando Arcia play up the middle, and there's going to be a lot of runs saved. Uh, it it puts You've got the right side of the infield taken care of now with first base and second base. Uh, at third base, you think that it's going to be some sort of combination if they don't make a move of Luis Urias and also uh, Daniel Robertson. Of course, Urias can go play some shortstop as well, but now you don't have uh, the the thoughts of are you trying to do something different with second base and first base and all that. It, just, it shores things up a little bit more, and it feels like the one big question mark does remain third base. So that's, that's not a horrible spot to be. It, sometimes you make one move – and it can end up impacting multiple positions. And I think it does that with this because first base is covered, second base is covered, and now the guys that you've got, you're not thinking about. You know, When Daniel Robertson was first signed, there was talk that, hey, this guy can go play a little bit of second base if you need it. All of a sudden, you can really focus on, on him and Luis Urias. I think Urias will play a little bit of shortstop. Uh, but you can really focus on them being guys who are going to uh, contend for playing time over at third base again if there's not a move to be made. So that's kind of my... Uh, my general thoughts on it, I think it was a really good move, and I've been saying it. I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I get a lot of things wrong. Don't get me wrong. I get a lot of things wrong, uh, and I'm always willing to admit when I'm wrong. I'm not somebody who runs away from uh, ever being wrong, but I, I always thought that the Brewers had at least one legitimate, notable signing left in them, either signing or some sort of uh, trade, acquisition, whatever you want to call it. I felt like they they had one. And there was a lot of people out there who didn't think that, who thought that from a financial standpoint, they just were not going to add to the roster and they were going to go into the season with the kind of roster that they had before the Colton Wong signing. And I never thought that. And I still think they'll sign a veteran starting pitcher. And we'll, I, I don't 
I thought it was kind of impossible that they would bring in Justin Turner after the Wong signing, and then I see how much money he's deferring. I, I don't think it's a likely or a probability. It's not highly probable that's going to happen, but it's also not impossible. So I'm not going to sit here and make a prediction like I've, I made before where I really thought the Brewers had a very legit signing left in them. I, I believed it, and I, was, I happened to be right on that one. Uh, I just all I'll say is I don't think it's impossible at this point that maybe they do something more, and I would think that it would be at third base. I'm not counting the veteran starting pitcher they're going to bring in. They're going to sign a veteran starter, and he, you know, that guy that you can put into that number three or number four spot in the rotation and just know what you're going to get out of them. They're going to sign that guy before spring training gets started. That's not a question. The only question is who that guy is going to be. But the question remains what third base is going to end up looking like. And that's kind of the narrative now. That's the that's what we'll be discussing here for the next few weeks as it looks uh, very likely that spring training is going to be starting on time. There was a last-ditch effort from the owners to try to get the players to start the season a month late. They, they, they did a whole thing. They were going to play 154 games. They were going to pay players for 162, but they were also going to expand the playoff in there. Players are not real keen on expanding the playoff because there's this sense that if the barrier to entry is lowered for the postseason, that may de-incentivize teams of making moves. It didn't sound like the owners were going to do much in terms of sharing revenue for the expanded playoffs. Really, all the players are going to get out of it were... They were going to play eight less games and get the same amount of money, which is not a which is not a huge deal. So I think we may have even talked about that on on the podcast last week. I can't remember exactly when uh, the the team turned that down or the players turned that down. I should say I feel like it was this past week, but it was always a foregone conclusion that the players were going to turn that down. I was a little disappointed that the players didn't counter. If you're the players in that situation, I feel like the counter offer at that point is. All that stuff, 154 for 162 pay, expanded playoff, universal DH, yada, yada, yada. But then a 50-50 split on the added revenue that comes along with the expanded playoff. And if you're the players, you do that for two reasons. Reason number one is if the owners happen to accept it, well, then you got more money coming your way, which is good. Reason number two is I think it's really I think it's really easy. It might be a little bit lazy, but I think it's really easy for people to sit there and say, you know, what a bad look for the players. They were going to get their full 162 salary. We're in the middle of a pandemic. All baseball wanted to do was start the season a month later. Why would the players not do that? And I think when you say that, like there's that looks like a, a common sense statement at the surface level. But again, when you when you dig in a little bit more on that, why would the players just give tens of millions of dollars of revenue to the owners and not really see much in return? So if you're the players, you counteroffer and you say, okay, we're going to share 50-50 split on all the added revenue from the expanded playoff. And then if the owners turn that down, which I think they probably would have, the narrative could change a little bit. At this point, it's not about the players being stubborn when they decided not to go forward with it. It kind of shows where ownership is coming from in all this. So, yeah, I was I was a little bit disappointed. Um, 
I was a little disappointed that the players did not counter, but they don't have to. And they just want to play 162, and they just want to get things off on time, and they feel like they they got through the 60-game season last year so they can get through a 162-game season this year. We're seeing right now in the NBA and in the NHL how tough it is, uh, and baseball did a really good job of it last year. It's going to get better. Every, it's getting better every day. I think I've said this before on the podcast. Like it's every single time somebody gets the vaccine, and lots of people are getting the vaccine every day. Still a small percentage of the overall population, but every single time somebody gets the vaccine, that's a that's a minuscule percentage point less of somebody being able to get COVID being able to pass on COVID, that sort of thing. So the way I view it, and I'm not a doctor, the way I view it is every single day as these people are getting their shots in their arm around the country, we're just getting you know that, that, that much closer. Many, many, many zeros off of, the, uh, off of the decimal point in the percentage that we're improving on an everyday basis, but it is moving. It is moving a little bit, and hopefully it continues to move and maybe even moves a little bit faster as we get into baseball. All right, so, yeah, that's that. More on Colton Wong on this week's Brewers Weekly, which you can find right here on this podcast feed. That was from this past Thursday. Right now, let's get to this week's conversation with uh, Tim Muma, contributor over at Brew Crew Ball. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X-Trains, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to welcome back onto the podcast a guy who contributes over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. We just enjoy being able to have him on and talk uh, Brewers baseball with him. He is Tim Muma. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore M-U-M-A. Tim, always appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you doing? Doing great, Matt. Uh, I always love talking baseball, so I appreciate the call. Yeah, this is a fun week, and we finally have something of substance to really be able to talk about because the Brewers do make a move this past week. Uh, they bring in Colton Wong. He's going to take over at second base. That's going to push uh, Keston Hira over to first, so it certainly has a, a dramatic impact on the team. What was your initial reaction when you heard the news? You know, if I'm being completely honest at first it, was, it felt a little underwhelming because it just seems you feel like they need a bat you know they need some pop and, and Colton Wong obviously doesn't really bring the power but you know the more you look at it the more you think about it it's like you know this this makes a lot of sense it gives them a lot of value especially at the cost um, but when you look at some of the things that that are necessary upgrades for the Brewers right middle of the infield defense obviously Wong brings that a ter- tremendous fielder goal glover um, you know, going to bring some stability to that position. He does get on base at a, at a good clip, especially in recent years, and especially against right-handers. So uh, that's another area where I think it kind of checks the box, so to speak. Uh, so it'll help out there. Uh, he also doesn't strike out nearly as much as a lot of the Brewers uh, in the lineup. And, and I, I did a piece earlier uh, a couple weeks ago on uh, the Brewers and their strikeout rate, and it was really bad last year. Now, granted, strange season, maybe that played a role. Um, but needing to have a guy or two like that to keep the line moving and I know not, a lot of the sabermetric guys don't like productive outs, at least the idea of them, but um, being able to have some versatility in the lineup. So when you really start to break it down and look at it, it's like, you know, that's why Stearns is in the position he is in. Uh, it sounded like they targeted Wong right away off the bat. And, uh, of course, on the flip side with Hira, 
they've never had any issues uh, moving guys around and thinking they can play other positions. And obviously, this was kind of talked about last year with Hira moving them to first. And then we heard a little report. Uh, Stearns mentioned it again right before the the deal came out. So clearly, it was something that's on their mind. And they thought, you know, as a net positive. Uh, they thought it would be a strong push um, as far as the offense and defense goes for the Brewers. And again, at, at initially I was a little underwhelmed, but as you break it down, I was like, you know, this is a really solid move to help address some of the areas that they are a little weaker in. And, um, you know, I just think it's, he's going to be a really nice addition and, I'll be curious to see what they can do moving forward to, to add maybe a little bit more to the offense. Yeah, there's a lot that you just said there, and I kind of want to get into a few different areas. Let's start with the strikeouts, because the advanced numbers will tell you that strikeouts are not as harmful as people used mm-hmm. to believe that they were. But that doesn't mean that they're they're not harmful, and clearly there's a, there's a line that you don't want to cross in terms of how often you strike out. And there's situational moments. That's probably even the bigger thing. Like situational strikeouts is more important than just the the raw strikeout number. Like if you don't want right. your power hitter shortening up and trying to just uh, get a base hit, just not to strike out. That's not what you're looking for. But you're also not looking for a guy to strike out when you've got a runner on a third and less than two outs. So it's a it's not a black and white issue. There's some there's some nuance to how bad or how not bad strikeouts actually are, and there's numbers to back that up. But I think we can both agree the Brewers absolutely have crossed that line in terms of just having way too many strikeouts. And to me, it's refreshing to have a guy in the lineup who you can really rely upon not to strike out. Yeah, I agree with a bunch of what you're saying there. And I like the way you put that of sort of crossing this, theoretical imaginary line that says, yeah, maybe we went a little too far to the uh, power versus strikeout side. Uh, and, you know, the first thing I want to say is it's incredibly hard to hit major league pitching and to expect guys to be able to just, you know, shorten up and make contact. I mean, they're talented too, the hitters are, but man, you watch some of the, especially some of the pitching ninja videos where they do the overlays of like, here's a fastball slider and cutter all in the same arm slot and good luck hitting it. And I, I really don't know how guys consistently hit the ball hard. So I will start with that. But to your point, like, there has to be a time, and of course there are situations where you want to have contact, and of course most of the time people are going to talk about man on third less than two outs, and that makes sense. Um, but just overall, too, like throughout the course of a lineup, if you have so many guys that are high swing and miss, it just becomes an issue because you just get nothing going. And I think we saw that especially last year at the Brewers where it's just stagnant offense, stagnant offense. And sure, maybe in the seventh inning you bust loose for three, four runs, but you know, is the game out of hand at that point? So it definitely becomes kind of that, that issue of uh, just consistent swings and misses. And, and it, uh, the way I look at it, too, as a pitcher, and you look at your pitching statistics, that's what you're looking at from pitchers, right, is how many swings and misses do they get? What's their K per nine rate or what's their strikeout to walk rate? So if, if you're praising that side and wanting to push for it from the pitching side, then the opposite should be true for your hitters. Um, so, again, it's, it's a tough balance. Um, as you pointed out, you know, you don't want a power guy choking up necessarily just to put the ball in play. Um, it doesn't mean they can't choke up or adjust their stance or swing a little bit, uh, but you definitely want to go for the, the more of the power play, and that's the, that's what the game has become for sure. Uh, as far as long, like you said, you know, I think this, this hurt with them losing Kane last year as well is just understanding some of those situations and knowing that, you know, if I can just put the ball on the ground here, we get a run in or I move the guy to third for, for Yelich to come up or for here to come up. You know, those become big things in my view over the course of a season. And 
you know, I, I'm, I like looking at the, you know, the more advanced numbers and, and diving into those as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you just got to win a ball game and, and avoiding that strikeout to me becomes a big thing. Uh, but there's a balance for sure. Uh, I know a lot of guys talk about as well when it comes to the strikeouts. Well, I'd rather guys strike out than ground into a double play. The funny thing is, I mean, there are fewer and fewer ground balls in today's game because of the launch angle sort of revolution, if you will, and just the, the amount of, of uh, you know, hard-throwing pitchers that just doesn't necessarily uh, lend itself to that. So, so if you're hitting through the ground balls anyway, then you're not necessarily putting yourself at risk, I think, for those, those double-play ground balls. So, you know, it's something to look into, and I, I know the Brewers, just like every other team, are, are trying to, you know, zig when everyone else is zagging. So, you know, we'll see if that becomes a little bit more of a focus for them, uh, whether it's the rest of this offseason or going forward. Um, but so, for some of the guys, it's really, I think, a matter of, you know, maybe it's just a down year and they need to make some of their own adjustment, adjustments. Uh, you know, Yelich being one of them for sure, and, and even guys like, like Hira and, and Navar, Narvaez who definitely had their struggles and they have some concerns there. But uh, if they can just put the ball in play a little bit more often, I think it does pay some more dividends for them. When you look at the entire move and, and combine what's happening with first base and second base, you vastly improve the defense at second base, and now that middle infield is going to be fun with uh, with Wong and Arcia. I mean, that's going to be the there's going to be a lot of runs saved up the middle. You have a solid bat at second base with Wong. You have a solid bay, bat at first base with Hira. I got into a Twitter kind of debate with somebody this past week. They didn't like the move because they don't think that Hira's numbers will stand up among first basemen in the National League, and I can see that point. But to me, it's not about comparing him to other. First first baseman it's comparing them right. to what else you were going to have there and it's a it, that's a that's a bump up by being able to put him over there the only question mark I have those four things we're talking about hitting and fielding at first base and second base I feel like the only question mark there is the uh the fielding at first base as here is going to have to learn that uh very quickly he doesn't have kind of the the prototype body type to be a, a first baseman they've already talked about the fact that he's going to have as good a range as any uh first baseman is going to have and and that's a nice thing maybe that makes up for some other plays that he doesn't make but that's going to be the that's the question on this right like if there's one area that you have to wonder if it's all going to work out is going to be here his ability to play a defensive first base for sure that's the biggest question mark and you know it's one of those things where i've always been told and i kind of preached it as well whether you're talking youth players and as you go up obviously to the big leagues that the first baseman, anyone in theory, of course, can play there. But to play it well is a challenge, just like any other position. It has its nuances, especially you're talking about like footwork and timing and being be able to understand, you know, when do I break for the base? How far can I be off the base to give myself range versus getting over there? And then reading throws, you know, am I, am I stretching? Am I digging? Am I going to have to jump? Do I have to come off the base to make a tag? So there really is a lot that goes into it. Of course, people want to minimize it and say, well, you're just standing on first base, catching the ball. These are major leaders. They make the throws. I mean, we see it all the time. That's not always the case. It's, it's an extremely challenging sport. So it will be very fascinating to see that. Of course, the Brewers have had their uh, you know defensive issues at first base in the past anyway. And usually what it comes down to is is the bat outplaying uh, the negative side of the glove. I mean, obviously, even something like this field are phenomenal hitters. So there was no worry that he might cost you a couple runs over at first base defensively. Uh, but that would be like one of those big examples. So I guess on the other side of it, because it is a combo deal, the defensive run saved from Wong 
I'd imagine are still going to be a pretty big net positive over whatever you might lose at first base mm-hmm. with Hira. And certainly with Hira or Wong at second instead of Hira, I, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it was something pretty ridiculous as far as Wong being up like 30-some defensive runs saved at second base and Hira like a minus eight. And I'm just throwing those numbers up, but it was a big gap. So you figure the improvement there here can't be as bad at first, I wouldn't think, because he's not going to be making those throws. Uh, again, he has to learn the position. There's going to be, I'm sure, ups and downs and some growing pains. Uh, but I don't think there's any reason that it, it should be you know, so brutal over there that you question the move. And to your point, he's, in theory, going to be a little more athletic than your average first baseman, and maybe that adds some of the benefits that you wouldn't normally see from a, a more of a lumbering big guy, you know, say like Vogelbach over there. Uh, so you never quite know how it's going to balance out one way or the other, but I do think, and I think the Brewers are thinking the same thing, that the positives to that are going to far outweigh the negative. The only one question that creeps in my mind is just the idea of learning a new position and hoping that doesn't affect Hira as a hitter. Now, he seems, you know, like a, obviously a naturally good hitter. He's had his struggles at the strikeout. Uh, you just hope that if he is learning so much defensively or maybe he struggles some defensively, that he doesn't take that into the batter's box with him. And that would be the, I guess to me that would be the biggest concern is maybe the trickle effect of any struggles defensively and how it might impact him with the bat. But, you know, overall you've seen a lot of guys go to first base in their careers for, for different reasons, whether age, injury, or defensive ineptitude. Uh, so you feel like it's been done before. They're going to have hopefully a full spring training to work on it and push comes to shove. You know, you might have to move some pieces around throughout the year and, and limit the impact. Uh, and maybe, I kind of doubt at this point, but maybe they'll even get the DH into the uh, into the National League here and, and he can play a little more uh, at that position versus first base. I'm going to be interested to watch. I think of everything that he's going to do, I'm going to be very interested to watch. As a second baseman, you can be aggressive on just about every ground ball. I mean, it, is a, it is a rare situation where you pull up to you know, maybe to go to second because that's the shortstop's ball or whatever it might be. You are aggressive most of the time, and if you're not going to go to the ball, generally it's pretty clear you go to the bag. And that's not the case at first base. There are times where yeah. going to your right and going for the ball versus going back to the bag and letting the second baseman cover it uh, is a it's a you know a split second decision that you need to make. So to me, I'm going to be very interested to see. How off, how he does making that decision. That's one of the toughest decisions as a first baseman, whether or not you aggressively go for the ball or whether you retreat. And also, the pitchers are going to have to be very well trained that they've always yep. got to be covering at first, no matter what, because you're going to have this guy at first base who's naturally going to be aggressive on balls. So there's going to be there's going to be ground balls that would generally be going to the second baseman that maybe he's going to come off the bag for, and the pitcher has to be ready to cover it first. Yeah, that was a great point. And when you were first bringing that up about the decision to go after the ball in the hole or, or pull off and go to first base, uh, you know, as you said, that split-second call, that one step left or right, that can cost you an out. Either way, either you don't get the ball uh, and then, or, or you do get the ball, but nobody's there covering first. Um, but I, I think the point you were about the pitching, that's going to be huge. I, I really, I'd love to see if I can find some numbers on as far as four to one put out because I think you might see it a bit more where mm-hmm. – Hira has that indecision, or he thinks he can get to a ball that can't, just, you know, whatever, it's a slightly different angle, or maybe it's a little, hit a little sharper, and obviously he might not be playing as deep as he would at second base. So you might see a, a little bit more where Wong has to hit the, the pitcher on the first base to cover. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's not true, but I just in my head envision that possibly happening a little bit more. But you, you do bring up a good point of that, that being one of those, I think one of those hidden 
challenges that lots of people may think about playing first base, where they think it's just a simple position. That's one of those that's really tough, and you, you have to make that decision quite a few times. Um, obviously, they, they have the shifts now, and, and they really try to position guys as best they can, but it's bound to come up, up over the course of the season a number of times, and it will be very interesting to see how quickly he picks up on that you know, a little bit of just natural instinct of what can I get to, what can't I get to, and what should or I should not go for the ball. Some of the contract details came out, and it appears that he is deferring. When I say he, I'm talking about Colton Wong. Colton Wong is deferring a fair amount of money to, to down the line, and that, again, got people excited about the possibility that maybe the Brewers have another move in them. And then you had uh, Trevor Bauer going to the Dodgers, and according to reports, the Dodgers were interested in Justin Turner. That's a guy that Brewers fans are targeting at this point. Now it seems incredibly unlikely that, that Turner would get any kind of money from the Dodgers. You would think that the Dodgers would be spent about as far as they can go. I guess never say never with an organization like that. But um, maybe maybe the Bauer signing reopens the door a little bit for, for a Justin Turner on a, on a short term, on a one-year deal. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I don't know what those conversations are, are are sounding like and looking like, and I don't know how much more the Brewers are willing to push payroll and whether or not a, a Justin Turner might be able to defer some money just the way Colton Wong is doing. But all that being said, I don't think it was a bad thing for the Brewers uh, that Bauer signed with the Dodgers this past week in terms of maybe having more of a shot at, uh, at, at a Justin Turner. Yeah, I'll definitely admit that I – felt the same way as far as with Bauer signing there, thinking, okay, it seems like the door might be a little more open because, yeah, as you said, I mean, the Dodgers can spend whatever money they want, and, you know, I'd read the reports that this is going to put them over that initial luxury tax and, you know, what would stop them from blasting through, you know, as many of those as they want. Uh, but maybe there's something to that, or maybe there's something to the fact that Turner was saying, you know, I'm, I might want to explore our options, and that's why the Dodgers pulled the trigger on Bauer. Again, I would love, I think we talked about this before, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for any of these conversations between player and team, team and team, you know, players talking to each other, and you know, who knows, you know, all the stuff that goes on. It would just be unbelievably interesting to listen to all those conversations. And I think, you know, I do think Turner would be a great fit, even on just a one-year deal, and we saw it with the Brewers and Rondell a couple of years ago. Um, seemed to work well for both parties. Rondell ended up getting his big contract after that, and obviously was a terrific contributor with the Brewers. Maybe he and Turner are good buddies and talks about his time in Milwaukee and that helps him convince to, to make a switch over here. Uh, maybe the big question mark, as you said, is the, how much the Brewers want to add to payroll, but we never really know. I, I know it's a constant conversation on social media and on radio shows, and you know none of us truly know. We don't know what's in the books. We don't know what they can or are willing to spend. And you know, Of course, there's lots of arguments that every team could be spending more. They just choose not to, and I get all of that. Um, but you, you, you just hope that your ownership, your management, and say, does this one guy put us in an even better position to possibly go out and win the division? And I think it does. I think it would with someone like him. You know, he's not going to play 162, but the Brewers mostly build their roster to be able to fill in spots and rotate guys, keep them fresh. So I think that works there. Uh, and even though the Cardinals went and got Arenado, I said it the correct way, right? Yes, you're the one that always is a stickler about that. Yep, okay. Well done. I remember from a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, but uh, even with them getting Arenado, I mean, he's obviously a terrific player. But you look at 
some of the fan graph stuff and the other, you know, sabermetric, uh, looking at wins and all that kind of stuff, it didn't really push the Cardinals like way far ahead of the Brewers. So I think there's, they're really even. If you can get that right handed power bat at a position, you definitely need some pop, uh, that the Brewers are missing. Of course, as a fan, I would love to go for it. And I've seen no reason they, they shouldn't. Uh, and you just hope that, that maybe it's in the stars and just like with Rondell a couple years ago, it, it's, a nice fit, even for one year, just to see what happens. Yeah, I think, look, if they went and got Turner, all of a sudden, you would clearly have two teams at the top of the division in in the Brewers and the Cardinals, whatever order. You probably put the Cardinals first uh, if you're looking at it, but it would put those two teams clearly ahead of the Cubs, Reds, and obviously the Pirates. And then when you take a step back and really think about the National League as a whole, you have the Dodgers and the Padres who are going to be good. You've got the Braves who are going to be good. You've got the Mets who have tried to make some moves, and, and they'll probably take a step forward. You know, the Phillies bringing back Romuto, maybe they take a step forward. The Marlins have a nice young core, but that I mean, that's it. That there's there's your teams that are contending for a playoff spot, and every other team right. is not contending. So it puts you right in that group in competition for a legit playoff spot. And that's as a fan, especially, again, you hope that management's the same way. Is You just want that shot. I mean, we talk about all the time, of course, baseball fans, especially, and, and experts, that more than any other sport, you get into the playoffs and it's a crapshoot. You know, last year, you know, ended up the Dodgers finally won the World Series, and, you know, sometimes it does work out that way where the best team does go all the way and win it. But you're right, in the central, I think if they were to make that move, you look at the Brewers pitching, you know, they're legit a top five staff if everybody's, you know, clicking and, and healthy. There's no reason they couldn't win that division. And I agree it'd be between just them and the Cardinals. I mean, the Cubs still have some talent, but you, I just don't see it from them, to be honest. So you, you got to beat out one team to win the division, which is the key, because with the exception if they go to another expanded playoff, which I know is, uh, you know, pushed back on by the Players uh, Association. Um you know, if you win the division, that's huge because you get the series. If you can avoid that that wild card game, so I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. Again, it's not my money. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. But boy, you know, it, it you can see every year it's it might be your precious last for a long time to to get back to the postseason. And you can talk about having Yelich, and you have a number of guys still under contract that aren't making a ton of money. That eventually you got to pay the piper with some of those guys or trade them and get rid of them. You know, guys. Your Woodruff's your hater. Obviously, here's making nothing right now. So, I'm just of the belief, true, truly, that you want to, if you have the ability to and you have the talent right now, push in as much as you can. I'm not saying mortgage the entire future, but do what you can now. I mean, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Next year's not guaranteed. And you just don't know what's going to happen. And uh, sure, would love to, to see them make that little bit of a run again and stay on this little bit of a streak. I know last year they made the playoffs. You know, the asterisk of being under 500 and, of course, the shortened season. But keep the momentum going. Continue to keep Milwaukee a place that's in the top of players' minds, that you're going to have some success, going to be enjoyable playing there. And, uh, you know, I just hate for them to kind of lose that momentum, fall out of contention, and the next year maybe you have an injury and you're out of contention again, and, and suddenly you're worried about, uh, you know, being able to field competitive teams while you got the kind of Yellich contract and, and who knows. So I just, in the back of my mind, I worry about things Spiraling, spiraling downward. Um, so while you have a chance, I'm all for you know pushing in your chips if you can. If you if you don't bring anybody in, then you would think it's going to be some type of timeshare between 
um, a Luis Urias and also a Daniel Robertson can be over there as well. I talked to Robertson lately. I had him on my uh, on my Brewers Weekly show on WTMJ, and he mm-hmm. mentioned um, he feels like he can be a late bloomer. You know, he's a guy who came up as a top prospect, has never done as much at the big league level as people thought that maybe he was going to do. But he's he's mentioned people like Justin Turner and Ben Zobrist and other right. guys who have all of a sudden found their groove in their 27, 28, 29-year-old season. So maybe Robertson is that guy, but at the same time, you're counting on a breakthrough, which is kind of, you know, you're counting on something which is not so much guaranteed. And last year they did that. They were counting on bounce backs last year. They were counting <laughs> on a on a Justin Smoke bounce back, you know, things like that. And um, I, I don't know, like I, I the the. I enjoyed talking with Daniel, and I'm kind of rooting for him now just because he was so enjoyable to talk to. At the same time, there's certainly no guarantee that he would be able to have that breakthrough that he's been talking about. Yeah, and I think I, mean, I might have heard you talking a little bit, too, about him. You know, he was a, a top prospect, and anytime you have that in your background, you always feel like, well, there, there's something there. You know, and either it just didn't click for him, he didn't bring it together, like you said, and just being a, a late bloomer, so... I mean, it's always, I think, good and fine to take chances on those guys, at, at least as an option. Uh, to your point, last year they, they did that all over the roster of, of trying to find these guys that, as you say, either bounce back or hoping that something would, would click for them and it didn't really work out. But um, then you think a few years ago with someone like Casey Segular where they you know, they did roster gymnastics, just keep them on the roster, and it paid off huge uh, You know, in 2018 when he went off as far as you know, just a monster at the plate that year. So... It does happen. It's not you know, unforeseen that that could happen again this year. I personally would love to see more of. Okay, you got Turner as your everyday guy, but he's going to need you know, his time off. He's probably going to be on the DL once or twice or IL, and uh, then that's when Robertson can maybe have his shot or fill in here or there. I think that's again the ideal scenario. Um, but you know, who am I to say? As you said, there have been a number of guys, Turner included. And it's a great example that seemed to be kind of in mediocrity, not really finding his spot, and then whether it was because of a mental change, a physical change, you know, swing change, whatever it was or a combination that worked. And, uh, you know, I think every team needs, probably needs a guy, at least one, maybe two guys like that to really take the next step every year with the exception of maybe a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees who have you know, so much on their payroll and, and so much talent overall. But a lot of those teams that end up making a kind of a Cinderella run or, or a little bit out of nowhere or upset a couple favorites, they usually have a couple of those stories, whether it's a veteran who has one last hurrah or it's the hot prospect from five years ago that you know, rediscovers his swing. Uh, you know, those things, you kind of need a little bit of luck. Much people don't want to talk about that. There's so much skill and, and work that goes into the game, but you need a little bit of luck to be successful. And, heck, if, if that's what it takes for the Brewers to win and, and, and have a solid solution at third base, I'm all for him or, you know, Urias or whoever else they can fill in at third base and, and uh, give them their shot. And maybe last year, as poorly as it worked out with finding those guys, 2021 might be the exact opposite. Might be. Last thing for you before I get you out of here. We, obviously, a hole at third base, not a guarantee. It seems like they could use a veteran starting pitcher, and you would think that they'll sign one of those guys at, at some point in time. Is, is that kind of the other hole that you look at, or is there anything else that you're really uh, kind of – keen in, eyeing in on, uh, in terms of what you'd like to see them do before the season gets started? It's definitely the first place you look. Uh, you know, maybe a veteran guy on a somewhat cheap deal, somewhat of a prove-it contract. Um, you know, I think the Brewers staff overall is set up pretty well where 
you could bring a guy or two like that in because you have some versatile pitchers who can throw out of the pen or, or move into the rotation if you feel you need it, especially a guy like Brent Suter. You know, he's kind of that ultimate, you know, put, put me where you need me and I'll make it work. So I think they will. That will be the, the place they really do focus on. And, um, you know, hopefully they can find a guy that's willing to, to come here and, and prove it. And they've had some success with that in the past. And they've had some guys that, you know, same thing. I'd say they're pretty much 50 50 on those kind of guys. And that's, that's the way it goes. So sign two of them. Maybe one of them pans out and you're, you're on your way. The other place I would say you, know, you might be looking a little bit. I don't know if there's been anything like official, official on Lorenzo Kane, but I see that's always something in the back of my mind I'm a little worried about, you know, and his personal decision and completely respect what he chose to do last year. Um, if you recall, I mean, he did start playing last year and then opted out. So I, I guess I'm always a little, a little worried from that point of view if he's going to be with the team, if he's going to stick it out, or if he decides it's not worth it at some point. So maybe some insurance, some protection there in the outfield. I know you have Taylor, obviously you have Yelich and Garcia. Um, but maybe a, another, maybe a minor league option guy or, or somebody you can bring in that, that might, might fit the role. I know there was, uh, some reports out there that the Brewers are looking at, uh, Chu, who obviously has a lot of experience in the outfield, but they're also like everybody else. The Brewers look at, looking at him for first day possibly, cause he's been working out there. So maybe somebody like that, uh, maybe they get a, an invite to spring training or, or a minor league deal or something to that effect just to be covered on that side. Cause infield. They're fine as far as numbers go. If they don't get that big third baseman catching, there's plenty of talk in the offseason how many catchers the Brewers have. Um, so, yeah, starting pitching as far as a veteran goes and maybe an extra outfielder just to uh, cover themselves in case of injury or, or other issues or concerns with Kane specifically. Certainly sounds like just based off comments from David Stearns lately, they're expecting Lorenzo Kane to be back this yeah. year. And I think one more thing to add to that is – if you remember, he spoke with the media last year, right around the time of uh, when the Brewers didn't play that game because of the social justice issues. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a day or so later, he spoke with the media, and I remember listening to him and thinking to myself, this guy sounds like a guy who really wishes he was with the team right now. And clearly there was mm-hmm. a lot more than just baseball going on at the moment, and I'm sure that was part of the, the motivation as well. But he sounded to me like a guy who was ready to be back playing baseball at that point. So uh, I understand where you're going on that, and I and I, I just hope that there is, uh, there's no reason for that to be because I, I think he's going to be back. And if you remember, when he started out last season, he had a really good start to the season. So if he can yeah. come back and be that guy, I mean, you talk about adding to a team, being able to add Lorenzo Cain back into a lineup, that's, that's something. Yeah, in theory, he's got to be fresh, right? Yeah. I mean, he's maybe a year off of his legs. I mean, I'm sure he's been working out and taking swings when he can, and, and you hope there wouldn't be too much rust there. That's what spring training would be for. But in, in some ways, considering last year, it might have been the best thing for the Brewers as long as he comes back because one less, uh, really one less year of, of hardship on those legs. I mean, the guy takes off like a rocket to grab a home run, and then he, he walks back to the dugout, and he looks like he's 90 years old. So um, maybe it was the best thing to work out for the Brewers, but uh, I, I obviously I and everyone else who's a Brewer fan would love to see him back in there. And if that's the case, like you said, now you've added really a couple uh, contact guys back to your lineup, and let's go. Yeah. All right, he is Tim Muma. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore M-U-M-A. Tim, I always enjoy our conversations. We'll do it again real soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate it. Tim Muma joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My appreciation to uh, Tim for uh, joining us. It had been too long. I didn't realize it. Uh, It had been 
way too long since we last had him on. So we will not wait this long next time to get him back on. All right. Uh, thank you to you for uh, being tuned in. We certainly appreciate you. We're not doing this podcast if we don't have listeners. So uh, thank you for uh, being tuned in. And I look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.